This chapter is a very well-known prophecy, especially regarding Christ's coming, uh, and it takes place during Israel's exile uh, from their own land. So it's a time of darkness and desolation. And so in such a time, uh, the prophet Isaiah, he foretells the following, that uh, to us, a child will be born, a son given. And we know that child is none other than Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But now, Consider the way that Isaiah prophesies about this son. There are a lot of ways to talk about the coming Jesus, but the way that Isaiah describes Jesus is in regards to his rule, his authority. In other words, his kingship. Verse 6 says that the government shall be on his shoulder. He's described as uh, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And again, describes his rule, his reign. In verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, he will rule. So in sum, uh, this Christmas prophecy is about Jesus' kingly rule. These past few weeks, we've been going over the gifts of Christmas. And so far, we talked about the gift of hope, uh, the gift of love. And this morning, we're going to talk about the gift of of peace. Now, we might wonder, why are we talking about Jesus's kingship if we want to talk about Christmas peace? And what does the two things have to do uh, with uh, one another? When we talk about peace, shouldn't we talk about the peace that we should have uh, in, in the midst of such a busy season? What are some ways we can have some of this peace in our hearts when so many things are going on? Why are we talking about Jesus's kingship? And the reason is because in the Christmas narrative, uh, that idea of peace, it cannot be separated from Jesus' kingship. You cannot separate the two. You can't have a correct understanding of the peace of Christmas without Jesus' kingly rule. That's why a lot of these carols, they put those two ideas together, the kingship of Christ and the peace of Christ. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. And so the reason why the Bible put these two concepts together is because if you want to have peace in your life, then we must receive Jesus as king of our lives. You cannot have one without the other. True, genuine peace is when we have Jesus as our king. And so this morning, we're going to quickly go over three points. Our need for such a king, our need number two, our resistance to the king, and finally, our rest in the king. Number one, our need, our resistance, and our rest. So with that, let's pray and ask the Lord for his help this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this morning where we can gather to sing your praises and to read of your Christmas narrative of how you sent your one and only Son. Lord, even now as we listen to your word, even with our, our kids, our families, everyone gathered, uh, we know, Lord, uh, that a lot of people's hearts are anxious, uh, minds wandering, but we do pray that your Holy Spirit will give us your truth this morning so that we may grow and learn from it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So number one, our need for a king. 
we tend to have a notion that the idea of kings is something of the past or something you find in maybe fairy tales, right? Uh, because when you look at the past, a lot of the nations, they needed kings because they didn't have established governments. Today, uh, we tend to think that democracy is the highest form of the government. And, and the idea of kings are somewhere in the past. So therefore, when we read the Christmas story with Jesus as king, uh, there's a temptation to group this story, to group Jesus along with all these fairy tales or, and those history books that we read. Because we believe that it's meant for a primitive people because we surely don't need a king. We have a legislative government. We have democracy. We don't need such a monarchy. But you and I, what we see is that you and I, we're meant to have a king. We're meant to follow a king. C.S. Lewis, he wrote an essay called Equality. And in this essay, he argues the very same thing. He says that deep down inside all of us, we need and want a king, even though our, our democratic institutions, they, they hammer in this idea for, for individual rights. He says that modern people in the West, we struggle with the idea of Jesus being absolute authority because, because we have abolished monarchy in our political sphere. And so for that reason, when we come to Christ, he says, we always come to Christ as this, he's someone just to help us and to love us, but never to rule us. Jesus has come not only as someone to help you, but someone to rule our lives. I mean, think about how well received would the slogan be during Christmas is something such as, you know, Jesus has come to rule you. It won't sell much on those Starbucks cups, right? That slogan. We'd rather talk about his love, his, his acceptance, his peace, and his mercy. But to talk about Jesus, he came to this world on Christmas to rule your lives. What a strange thought. What a very uh, 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 threatening thought even. See, C.S. Lewis says, democracy is good for society, but it is not the ultimate nature of our spiritual reality. The reason why we believe in the necessity of democracy is because of the reality of the fall. See, the re reason for democracy is not because people are so capable of ruling themselves, but he says, actually, it's the reverse. The reason for such governments and democracies is because we're so fallen we're so messed up and sinful that not one person can be trusted with unchecked power over others. So he says, democracy is medicine. It's not food. It's not something that can help us grow and thrive unless we pledge allegiance to a king. Not to a corrupt king or a corrupt ruler, but someone who is fit to be a king. And it's the fact that there are no such kings on earth, which is why he says we need something like democracy. And so here's the kicker. Regardless of whatever government you are in, you and I, we still pay homage to kings, whether you are aware of it or not. Sure, it might not be a, a ruling monarch, but we honor what? Billionaires? We honor athletes, film stars, celebrities as kings, don't we? Why? Because it is in our nature to want a king. 
That's the reason why you and I, we love Marvel movies, right? Because all of us, we love the idea of this king, this superhero coming in to, to fight evil and to establish peace on earth. We love Captain America and Superman and, and Iron Man. Why? Because we see them as form of kings. Tim Keller, he says, the reason why we like stories like Lord of the Rings and the reason why we adore kings and we create them because in our memory, our, in our memory trace of the human race, in you and me, there is a great king, an ancient king, one who did rule with such power and wisdom and compassion and justice and glory. So his power and wisdom and compassion and glory were like the sun shining in full strength. We know that we are meant to submit to that king, to stand before that king. We have that memory trace. That's why you and I, we create these stories. We love stories of the superhero coming in to establish peace and rule over evil. So that's the number one point, our need for our king. Number two, our resistance to such a king. So if you are convinced that we do want and need a king, the natural response would be for us to, to beckon the king to come, right? And say, come and, and now destroy all the evils of this world, just like those Marvel superheroes. And we see a lot of evil in this world that needs to be trampled, right, by this king of kings, the, the corrupt government, uh, the powerful who prey on the powerless, the criminals and convicts. Old, Old Testament scripture talks about how Jesus as king, he's going to come. In Psalm 2, he's going to come and, and break all these nations into pieces. And after he destroys these competing kingdoms, only then will there be peace. But here, what the Christmas story tells us, yes, the king has come, the king of kings, and he has come to establish peace in our lives. But the kingdoms that he comes to destroy is first not those people out there. It is not yet those corrupt governments, those criminals and convicts. The first many kingdoms that he comes to destroy are the ones in our hearts, the ones competing for our authority and our rule and our kingship. You and I, we are the biggest threat to Jesus as king because you and I, we want to be king of our own lives. Look at children. Paul Tripp, he once wrote in his devotional, you can see this idea when you look at children who run around like he calls them, little self-anointed self-sovereigns who think that the only authority they need in their lives is their own. He says, your little boy thinks of himself as a king. Your precious little girl thinks of herself as a queen. And he says, children, they're not born with an affinity for, for commitment to the kingdom of God. They are sinners. And what sinners do is that they tend to see submission to authority as forsaking their own freedom. They have a greater commitment to the kingdom of, their cell, of themselves than they do the kingdom of God. And we can see this in young children over, over what to eat, right? What to wear or when to go to bed. Because in those situations, the battle is not between you getting your child to, to eat something other than pizza. The battle with your child is not trying to convince them to sleep earlier. It's a battle of kingship. 
It's a battle of not being tired or not. It's a battle of, battle of who is the king. And that's the same with us. The battle of kingship happens inside all of our hearts when we get irritated, when we get annoyed at, at the things that don't end up our way. Whenever we feel like we need to submit our power and our authority to the power of another person or to submit to that person, we don't like it. We want to fight back. Isn't that what happens in a traffic jam, right? We lose control. We lose our authority. We lose the power onto that traffic jam. And so everywhere we go, in every situation, there is always this power struggle in our hearts for that kingship. Paul Tripp, he says, we struggle because our greatest allegiance is not to the king of kings, but to ourselves and to our happiness. And so if we want peace in our lives, we have to realize that Jesus needs to come as the king who destroys all of your little kingdoms, our struggle for control, authority, and sovereignty. And only then will there be peace. Third point, our final rest in the king. Our rest in the king. Now, when Jesus comes as king, he's Destroying all these kingdoms inside of us, that, that, that struggle for power and authority. Now, after this struggle, after we try to fight back, after we try to establish our authority, what happens when Jesus comes and when we give our lives to him and says, God, you are the one in control of my life. You're the one who's in control of this traffic jam. You're in control of my child's upbringing. You're in control of this situation. No matter how, how out, far out of this control this might seem, once we start to submit to Christ in those things, isn't that when we start to have peace? To know that God is almighty and powerful and he is good. And he knows what he is doing in your lives. And the more we let go of the control and this authority that we want and say, God, I trust that you know what you are doing in this situation. Isn't that when peace starts to break through? It's a peace knowing that Jesus is in control of your lives. He is the loving king. He knows what is best for you. But as soon as he comes closer, many of us, we... We've grown to distrust authority, haven't we? Because throughout our lives, a lot of people, a lot of institutions have failed us. Parents have failed us. Friends have failed us. Government, the authorities. So what happens when the people we look up to, they let us down? What do we do? We try to take things into our own hands, right? Well, if you can't do it, if you can't come through, then I have to do it myself. And so we tend to distrust Jesus, thinking he doesn't know what's best for me. I know what's best for me. When Jesus comes into Christmas as your king, he's saying, all along, it's not the idea of a king that you've been fighting against. It's the fact that all up until, up until now, you've been following the wrong king a king that is not worthy of your allegiance, a king that is not worthy of your time, your resources, of your energy and your struggle. Even you yourselves, you are not worthy of the allegiance that you give to him, to yourself. But only Christ is worthy of that allegiance. He is the king of the universe, the prince of peace. So let me ask you, has this past year 
been a very unpeaceful year? Is there a lack of peace in your life? Is your idea of peace something that only happens when there's the absence of of screaming kids or the absence of troubles at work or the absence of financial struggles? Then isn't that your king? Because those things determine your peace or not. Who is your king? Because the king of Christ, he's the one that says, regardless of what comes your way, knowing that he is in all authority and power of your life and he knows what's best for you and he loves you, there is, there is a peace that comes in knowing that. What is your peace contingent on? And perhaps this past year, even now, when we see our peace being so contingent on all these things, it reveals that the fact that deep down inside, that your peace is actually contingent on you having things your way with you on the throne. When Jesus was born, the angels above, they sang, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace to those who place their lives and their trust, their allegiance to the king of kings and who no longer have to bear the weight of having to be your own king, but rest in Jesus as the true king. He is the Savior of the world. Let's pray.